Well, good morning. And uh, again, welcome. My name is Brian Habig. I'm one of the pastors here. That was Jake Patton that was leading us in worship. Where did y'all come from? There were like 10 people when the worship service started. But this is a good trajectory, but I'm I'm just, I'm glad you're here. Hey, let me take a quick speaker's privilege moment here, um, but also announcement. We're going to start the women's Bible study this week. That's going to start this Wednesday. And um, we've been offering one at 1015 on Wednesday mornings. That's going to continue. But we are starting a new one that's going to be offered during the lunch hour because of women who just have uh, work commitments or other commitments and they can't come in the morning. And a lot of you have already heard that info. Let me add one other little twist to it. If you look in the New Testament, uh, specifically if you look in the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul would talk to a non-Christian audience, what, what, a Gentile audience, it's interesting, when he talks to them, he never starts with Jesus. Now, he went all over the world to tell people about Jesus, but when he would launch into it, and we have a record of what he said, he never started with Jesus. What he started with was creation, God as the mutual creator of everything and everyone, and he would go from there. And th- that point of contact that we, that we have with all human beings. And the reason I say that is, if, uh, if you're planning on coming to Bible study and have thought about inviting someone, I, I really I want to fan that flame, and I want you to think about inviting someone, not just like a Christian friend, so that she can learn and grow, and, and we want that to happen. But even think in terms of reaching out to someone who's not yet a Christian, that uh, these themes at the beginning of Genesis that we're going to study are just foundational for everything else, and they totally set us up to think about who is Jesus and what did he do. So uh, I just want to throw that out to you. If you're thinking about coming to either study, think about it not just in terms of uh, inviting a Christian friend, but someone who's, who's not yet a Christian friend, or say that I, know, I, I have no plan on becoming a Christian. If they're open to it, invite them to come, okay? That's going to start this Wednesday. Now, we, are, we just started a new series last week. We're going to be for the next 12 weeks or so in the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. And it's a big book, 28 chapters. We're not going to cover everything. What I want to do is look at this theme in the Gospel of Matthew that is a huge deal in the Bible. It is a huge deal in the New Testament. And it's the kingdom. And I said last week, you know, like we, when we talk about Christianity, that's the word we usually use. We'll say Christianity or that something is Christian or someone is a Christian. It can be an adjective or a noun. The New Testament really hardly ever uses that term. But what it talks about all the time is the kingdom. And I, I suspect that we don't have a good handle on that, what it means and why is that so important. So that we want to try to drill down into that this fall. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of grab from here and there uh, as we go. Sometimes we'll look at a whole passage, but sometimes I'll just kind of grab a a few verses here and there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, the text is in the bulletin. We're going to start with chapter 4, verse 23. Before I read that, let me throw this out to you. You know when you, um, you know when you're telling a story and you tell somebody a fact and you don't want to just go on and on and on about it, but because you made it succinct, you can tell that, like, they didn't really feel the weight of what you just said. Like, for instance, some of you may have lost power Friday night, and you're talking to a friend of yours, and you say, yeah, we didn't have power Friday night, and they go, huh, and they they move on to the next thing, and you sort of want to say, hey, that's a big deal, you know? It was crummy, and we got hot, and it was all night. Did you really hear what I just said? 
We, we do that to Bible writers all the time. Like, they'll, they'll tell us something, just they'll make it succinct and it's true, but because they don't go on and on and on about it, we don't really, like, stop and think about it and feel it. And the reason I'm saying that is the, in the passage I'm about to read, it starts out describing Jesus, the beginning of his public ministry. And it says that he went throughout Galilee. I, I don't know what that sounds like to your ears. And I had not thought about it a lot, honestly. And you, I don't know what that sounds like in your mind. That might sound like he's just kind of moving around a space that's the size of a summer camp or something, just kind of be like talking to people. And I did a little more reading. Galilee was about 2,800 square miles. So I, if, if you know your South Carolina geography, you, I'm almost positive you will better than I do. Think about the upstate. Think about, from your point of view, Spartanburg County, Greenville County, which is big, uh, Pickens County, Oconee County. That's about 2,800 square miles. So no car, no real public transportation, no hotel system like, like we have. He's going throughout this massive area. And uh, what, there's one estimate that Galilee probably had right over 200 little towns, little cities. And he's going spot to spot to spot to spot. One New Testament scholar said if he and his followers hit about two or three a day to really canvas that area would take three solid months. If you did, I mean, that would be exhausting. Two or three synagogues, towns a day. As he's doing that, what is he talking about? And Matthew says, not just once, but more than once, he kept talking spot after spot, town after town, about the same thing. What was it? Let's start with Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Then from chapter 24, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way you tell us what you're like through the creation, from the stars to the trees to the soil, to the mountains. But thank you for your word in particular, that that it's there, it's here, that we see things that we can't learn from going outside. Thank you for showing us how much we need you, 
telling us how much we need you and telling us that you have sent one who's done everything well, that he's the one that we need. And we pray that we'll hear you from your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Had a big family um, movie outing last weekend. The whole family went to go see Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. And um, fun, fun, uh, fun viewing. And I realized that, okay, about the same time my boys put me onto the trailer for the upcoming James Bond movie, Spectre. And, I, okay, this sermon illustration is so cutting edge, the movie hasn't even come out yet. Just so think about that. I hope, I hope it'll be relevant when the movie does come out. But, uh, but those movies have a common theme. They actually have a lot of them. They've got the cool, handsome leading man and pretty people and cool gadgets and fast cars. But they both have a theme, and that is that there is a secret, incredibly powerful organization that's doing things at a global level. Now, in Mission Impossible... It's the syndicate in the upcoming James Bond movie. Uh, it's Spectre. And in the old movie, Spectre was more a person. Spectre is apparently an organization. And, and in the trailer for the James Bond movie, you hear this man's voice say, he says, hello, James. You, you saw me so many times. I can't believe you didn't notice me. Now, it's interesting because... Lots of movies have that theme. Lots of stories have that theme. In fact, conspiracy theories have that theme. And they're on to something. Okay? On the one hand, I don't think there's a secret. If you've ever been on a committee, it makes me hard to believe that there is a secret organization running the world. <laughs> they can do this efficiently and stay together and not just, just, just kill each other, especially if they have those kinds of you know, gadgets and budget. But... Um, but the compelling thing is that we have a sense that behind all the malice, there is this intelligence. And the Bible never shrinks from saying, that is actually true. That, I mean, and behind, not just local things, behind massive global malice, there is an intelligence, and Scripture uses different names to speak about this intelligence, and it never speaks about it as an abstraction. It doesn't speak about it like as the personification of bad things. It's a being with intelligence, and it goes by different names. The enemy. I should say he goes by different names. The enemy. The adversary. That's what Satan means, uh, the devil. That there is someone and forces that we call both something and someone behind the malice. Now think about this. Not in Matthew, which is where we are, but in the Gospel of John, three different times Jesus identifies this being as, and these are Jesus' words, the ruler of this world. It says that three different times in the Gospel of John. Now, Matthew doesn't use that language, but here's what it does, here's what it does say. We, we started in chapter 4. A few verses before this in chapter 4 is when Jesus kind of... He goes public as the Messiah. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And the first thing he does is what? He is sent out by God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And one of the specific temptations is the devil comes to Jesus and says, he, show, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you these. And Jesus, when he responds to him, doesn't say, you can't do that. You don't really have the kingdoms of the world. Jesus doesn't say that. He just says, I only bow down to God. But that's amazing to think about the biblical, if I can put it this way, the biblical worldview is that whether people acknowledge it or not, whether their visible government is like this or not, the world is a monarchy. And it has a bad king. And it's into that real world that God sends the Messiah, Jesus. And what does he talk about? I mean, especially when he just burst on the scene, like I keep saying, kind of goes public as the Messiah. What was the phrase that was in all three passages from Matthew? What he talks about is, what it calls, the gospel of the kingdom. Into a world that already is a kingdom, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom. The gospel. All right, so here's what I want to look at. I want to ask a couple of questions of these passages. First off, how is the kingdom the gospel? Like, what, in other words, what does the term mean? And I'll just kind of broadcast my punches. We talk about this a lot at Downtown Prez. Gospel means good news. Why does Matthew say when Jesus talked about the kingdom, it was good news? Second question, how is it good news? So what does the term mean? How is it good news? All right, first off, what does the term gospel mean when you say the gospel of the kingdom? And here's, if I can... Say it this way. Here's the weird thing. Jesus, he can't be doing what we do at downtown prayers when we talk about the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? When I teach or Jake teaches or Tim teaches, preaches the gospel, we, we talk about things like God sent his son. He came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that his people deserve. He, he gives his people credit for, the li- for what his life deserves. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's coming back. Jesus couldn't say that. Like, Jesus couldn't walk into a Jewish synagogue and say, Jesus died on the cross. He hasn't yet. All right, so let's go back to square one. So what does it mean when it says, He preached the gospel, when he hasn't done the stuff yet. You've got, you've got kind of two worlds going on right now. You've got the Jewish world that he's walking around in, walking in, like going into Jewish synagogues. And you've got the larger Roman world. Everybody's under Roman control, right? And the term gospel already existed. But it kind of meant different things to those people groups. To the Jews, especially if you had a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. We call that the Septuagint. If you had a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, that word gospel appeared in places where it talked about God being the king of everything. That the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he really actually rules the whole earth. Like when little kids sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. 
little Jewish boys and girls could have sung that song. Like, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's the king. He can rescue you. Israel's not a big place when some big superpower is going to squash you. If God's not going to let you be squashed, he can shut them down because he's our deliverer. If you got that good news from a prophet, those those glad tidings, to be kind of old-fashioned about it, you got gospel. He's the king. He's the victor. Romans meant something else. And I want to read you a, a cool quote I came across. Well, if you can call up a Roman quote from 9 BC, cool. And this is, the, this is why it's great that there are scholars and classical scholars and New Testament scholars because this is something I never would have stumbled across in my own reading, uh, and probably you either. The guy who was Caesar when Jesus was born, like if you've even seen Charlie Brown Christmas special, you should know this part, Caesar Augustus. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, this is from Luke chapter 2. When, uh, when Caesar Augustus, when, it, when uh, his birthday came in 9 BC, there was this proclamation that went out into the Roman world. So in some areas, they were Greek-speaking areas, but they're under Roman control. And if, if you lived in one of these areas, here's the message you got. First off, it's, it's on his birthday. It says that when he was born, his birth, quote, has given a new look to the universe. Now, there's a political claim right there. And then it says that, that by sending Augustus to earth, the gods, um, quote, by sending in him, as it were, a savior for us, they showed that this was the beginning for the world of the glad tidings that have come to men through him. Like they used the word, plural, gospels. When the Roman gods sent Augustus to earth, this sort of uh, God Caesar, God Emperor. They were sending him as a savior for a messed up universe. And um, the glad tidings of his arrival have come to all of us. And, and here's what happens at the time of the New Testament. That this term that meant one thing to the Jews and one thing to the Romans merges into something that's true. And whether Jesus used this word or not, or whether his followers applied it to what he did, he went into little towns and bigger towns and cities, and he taught outside, or he went into synagogues, and he proclaimed, God is king. And God really is victor. And God has sent his king, not just for his people, but to change the whole world, to change the universe. And here's here's something that that you may or may not know. You know, I think if you know anything about the Gospels, you've heard that Jesus went around and he taught and he preached and he healed. He healed people of diseases and he cast out demons. Now, we'd say, man, if you have the power to do that, that'd be a great thing to go around and do. I wish I had that power. I'd I'd go around and do that. But do you know why he did that? Because he doesn't heal every single individual. If he's really God, he could have just said, everybody that's sick is healed. Boom, they'd be healed. But he went around and like touched people or spoke to people or invested in people and then they were healed or the demons were cast out. Do you know why he did that? And he says it in Matthew. Not in these passages, but in Matthew chapter 12, 
he gets into it with some religious leaders. And they say, you know what? You, you cast out demons because we think you're in league with the devil. And Jesus says, that makes no sense. That why would you cast your own, like, your own league out? But then he says this, but if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's really important. That means when Jesus went up, like the part I love in that passage, it said he didn't just heal people of their diseases, but of pains. And man, you'll fly past that till you really have a pain. And then you'll stop when you read that next time. Chronic pain, terminal pain. Jesus would come up to people, and it might be somebody in their 30s, or it might be an elderly person, and they hurt so bad, and they don't know why. And again, he's God. He could have just said, everyone on earth that feels that way is healed. Wham! And they would be. But to that individual, he would touch them, or he would speak. He would will it. And they would be healed. Or somebody would be just... Somebody's body would be a playground of the demonic, and, and Jesus would speak and come to them. And, sh- and not just say, but demonstrate the kingdom of God has burst into your town. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. And Matthew says, man, when he not only said that, but showed that it was fantastic news. It was just awesome. And before we go any further, I, I want to I I hit on this. Jesus did not go around and tell everybody, look, we, we need to ramp it up on obeying God. That, Matthew says that was not his message. Now, do we all need to do a better job of obeying God? Absolutely. Or if you were here this morning and don't even believe in God, which would be, that would be a huge privilege to have you sitting here if you don't believe in God and you're willing to listen to a little man in a blazer with male pattern baldness talk to you about the Bible. That would be phenomenal that you're here, and I thank you for being here. But like, even if you don't believe in God, could we at least say, I, could I do a better job of living up to my own moral expectations? Of course we all could, yes. Does Jesus go around and say, hey, What is the deal with Israel's neglect of the law and the prophets? What is the deal with Israel's neglect of memorizing Scripture? What is the deal with Israel's neglect of synagogue worship and temple worship and a life of prayer? Is that what he went around and just harped on? What he harped on was, I have got great news for you. And whether you are a longtime member of Downtown Prez or this is a one-and-done visit here for you, here's what I would want for you. I want you for the rest of your life to have a template inside of you. And the template is if you hear anybody talking about the Bible and talking about God and they're saying their thing or they're teaching their thing, I want you to have a template where at the end of it you ask yourself, was that good news or not? Because here's the thing, it is, it is, oh, it's so easy, it is crazy easy to stand up with the same Bible, same Old and New Testament, and launch into, we need to do better. And you know what? That's true. And you know what else? That is not good news.
Good news is just good. Like I was talking with Jake about when their power came back on and that, like, that delicious noise of vroom, when your house has been silent and it's like the angels are singing to you again and like I just love the hums and the beeps and the air conditioning little roar in the background. No one has to come to you at that moment and go, now this was actually a good thing that just happened. It just inherently is. And you feel it and you experience it. That's how the gospel is. If you ever come here or you ever go somewhere else or you listen to a podcast or whatever that's about God and the Bible, you need to ask yourself, was that good news? Because if it's not, then that is not what Jesus was going around saying. It's a different thing. And I would go so far as to say, avoid it. If, it, if it's posing as Christianity or the gospel. Um, how is it good news? We, we, I mean, hopefully we're establishing from Jesus' point of view, from a biblical point of view, it is good news. You know, we've established that it is. How is it? Let's, let's just, I'm going to be real simplistic. Let's look at it in two ways. It's, it's good news in the sense that, and I'm going to go singular on you. Like I usually like to speak plural, us, we, but I'm going to make this me, us as individuals. It's good news in the sense that bad rulers don't have to rule me. And I don't have to rule me. Bad rulers don't have to rule me, and I don't have to rule me. Bad rulers. Uh, three years ago, our family got to spend some time in England, and we didn't really even plan it this way, but we ended up at the Tower of London on July 4th, which was sort of like any day, because in England, July 4th is not a huge celebration for obvious reasons. And um, we were in the, it's our first time to ever go there. And so in the Tower of London, there's all kinds of unbelievable stuff, ancient stuff. <clears throat> but there was a display, and it had the different British monarchs and, and their picture and information about them. And so I got in front of George III. Now, he was the king during the American Revolution. So I got in front of him and gave it one of these and posted it on Facebook and felt kind of naughty about it. And, Hope that no English person was going to beat me up when they, when they see me doing this. But uh, why is July 4th the Independence Day? Why is it the celebration? The United States didn't necessarily start on July 4th. You've probably heard historians say, like, there was lots more that had to happen for us to really be the United States. But that's the date of the Declaration of Independence. And if you've never read it, you ought to read the Declaration of Independence because it's mostly about George III. It's, it's, not, it's not just this lofty, our aspirations of what kind of nations we're going to be. It's largely saying, here's why we've got to declare independence because this is the kind of king he is. If you live in these colonies, he is a bad king and we're independent from him. We have bad rulers. And, and sort of in the same way that, like, in, you know, when Jesus was born, Caesar was the great emperor, but you had local rulers. Like, you had Herod, was a king, was a local king, a local ruler under the great emperor. Um, according to Jesus, the ruler of this world, the bad ruler, 
or, or Paul says the God of this world is the devil. That doesn't mean the earth isn't an amazing place. It's a beautiful place. It's a, it's a glorious place. In our Genesis study, we're going to talk about that a ton. God made it. It's amazing. It's fallen. And there's this system of rebellion that the New Testament calls the world. And at the head of that system is the devil. But under him are good things that God made that he uses as rulers. For instance, work is a wonderful thing. If you ever go without work, boy, you'll believe that. Work is a wonderful thing. And work is not a punishment. Work predates sin or the fall. Work is a great part of creation. Work is a horrible ruler. It will crush relationships as a ruler. It will crush joy. It will crush margins. It will crush your humanity. Wonderful thing in creation. Horrible ruler. Friends are amazing gifts. Proverbs says if you don't have a close friend or close friends, you can't be wise. Friends are amazing. Friends are horrible rulers. When you have to please them, you have to appease them. You can't be alone. You have to be with them. They're horrible rulers. Health. Health is a wonderful gift. And it's a wonderful thing to take care of. It's a wonderful part of being a created person. Health is an awful ruler. An aw- whether that manifests itself in being so fastidious about everything I eat or everything that I ingest or how much I exercise or making this uh, running time. What- horrible ruler. We don't have to have bad rulers. And when we serve bad rulers, the just the short biblical term for that is sin. And you, you know what Paul says in Romans? We studied this last year. He says, if, if you believe in the Messiah and you come to him with empty hands, you trust him, you believe this good news, and you offer your life to him, Paul says... If that's you, sin no longer has dominion over you. That's that's kingdom language. You'll still sin, but sin's not your ruler anymore. You have a good ruler. You have the best ruler. Bad rulers don't have to rule me, and um, I don't have to rule me. And man... You know, there's a very flippant way to use this expression, but sometimes it is appropriate to use the expression, thank God. I don't have to rule me. Thank God. I've got a friend who says, you know, when we, when we pray, thy kingdom come, which is from Matthew, when we pray, thy kingdom come, you know what we're also praying, whether we realize it or not? My kingdom go. And, I, you know, I was thinking about, okay, so what does that really look like? What does it really mean that I'm praying, thy kingdom come, my kingdom go? Um, we had a church member who was converted. He became a Christian later in life. And it was in his 30s or maybe early 40s when the Bible came alive to him, prayer came alive to him. And so a hardworking guy, so early morning is when he would read the Bible and pray, whether you call that devotions or quiet time or whatever. That's when he did it. He'd get up before his family, and he would sit at the dining room table. 
Now, this may not be how you do it, but this is how he did it, and I love it. And he, not, a, not a superstitious guy, but he would sit down at the table, and the chair next to him, he would pull out from the table because he just wanted to think about the Lord being right there. Every morning, he'd sit down with his Bible, and he'd pull that chair out, and he would spend time with the Lord. And so I was sitting at my... I was sitting at my table last night, and so I was thinking about that. I was looking at the chair like, mentally picture this. Mentally picture if you were at, wh- wherever you sit and eat, because wherever you sit and eat, you probably do everything. You, you, you go over stuff there. You make notes. You check your phone. You kind of do life at that little chair. Picture you at your chair and Jesus and a yellow pad. I'm a yellow pad guy. You don't have to be a yellow pad guy. I'm a yellow pad guy. You, write down on the yellow pad your life. So, so, all right, Jesus, here, all right, here's some things I'm really ashamed of. I, I just, these are things from my past and even things going on right now. And if I just, I, I can be in the middle of the day and when I think about it, I'll just wince. I hate these things about me and I don't like talking about these things about me. These, uh, these are areas where I just keep thinking I'm going to do better and I don't. Like I keep saying to God, I'm never going to do that again, and then I'll just, go, I'll just keep doing it. And these are just some huge concerns right now about my work. These are concerns about my family. Um, these are things I don't understand. All right. What if you showed that yellow pad to Jesus, and he looked at it and said, well, what if I just took the whole thing over? What if you said, no, I don't, I don't think you should do that. What, I mean, if your best friend was there, wouldn't you hope they would go over to you and say, give him the yellow pad now. What are you doing? This is an absolute best case scenario. It's like George Costanza said one time on Seinfeld. It's like discovering plutonium without even meaning to. Give him everything. Let, if he's offering, let him have the shame, the disobedience, the financial confusion, the relational confusion, the family confusion, your hopes, whatever. Give him everything. Do you understand that that is the very thing that Christ offers? And here's the irony. He already rules. I mean, he's already has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's not like if we don't give him the yellow pad, who go, wow, I just don't even know about your life now. Who knows? He's God. But it's good news to know, man, I could just slide that whole thing over, and it's so hard to slide it and not grab it back. Trust me. The good news is, slide it over and just say, that's it. And, of course, you know the things I forgot to write down. So if you're saying, I'll take it all, take it all. Sin, the things I'm proud of about myself, worries, misunderstandings, confusion, my body, my soul, my emotions, just take it. God God is so good. He comes to us and says, well, I'll do that. And I'm good. All the other rulers are not.
A uh, couple of things real quick. One is um, Jesus fed the poor. Jesus loved the poor. Jesus healed sick people. Jesus flat out got his hands dirty. But the doing of that was not enough. He had to say the gospel of the kingdom. He had to, it's the Greek word for preach the gospel of the kingdom. I hope I or Jake or Tim never urge you to bring people out of our job justification. That would be bad. But if this is a place where the good news is said, verbalized, please bring people. To hear the good news that the bad rulers don't have to rule you and you don't have to rule you because you can't rule you. You can't cleanse or redeem or rescue you. But the good king can. But second thing is this, and I'll close with this. If you are, let's say, 22 or younger, would you please listen carefully to me? If you've got someone younger with you, would you tell them, listen to him. Did you know that for the last 2,000 years, men and women have left the country where they grew up and they have gone to other countries and maybe learned a different language and lived in a different kind of house and learned different ways of living? And they did that so they could go to other people in other countries and tell them about Jesus. And here's the thing. Most Christians don't do that. Most Christians live their Christian life in the country where, they put, where God puts them. But some Christians are called to do that. This is relevant to everybody, but if you're, if you're eight years old or six years old or 14 years old, I want you to think about something. You may be the person that God is raising up, that He's He's training you, that one of these days you're going to leave the United States and you're going to go to somebody very different than you in a place that's very different than you and you're you're going to tell them, I've got some wonderful news for you, that God can be your king. And Jesus can be your king. And they're going to come to know him from you leaving here and going there to tell them the good news. And I'm going to pray right now that God will do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that there is good news. Thank you that there is the good king. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our prophet and our priest and as our great king, the high king. We pray that um, this would be good news to us and that we would not present our bodies as instruments of serving bad rulers, but would serve you. 
We pray that anyone here who is still under the dominion of bad rulers, that you would rescue them and forgive them and give them Jesus. Father, for young men, young women, boys, girls here, would you raise up ones who will love this good news so much that they can leave moms and dads and siblings and friends and hometown and go to another land and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.